I have found that as I get older, um, I like less things. Like, which is to say I get grumpier. Which is saying, a little, well, it's not really saying that much. But I find that it's harder for me to get excited about things. Like, the, like joy is just something that seems less and less accessible to me. I've been actually reflecting on that a lot because there is so many times in the Bible, if you kind of type in a Bible word search and you look up the word rejoice, it's like all over the place. Joy is all over the place. This sense of excitement that happens when you're near God is all over the place. And I, I, I've been thinking and reflecting on why there is so little delight and joy in my life in, in terms of that. It sounds really dark and I don't mean it to, but... I've just, I've just been thinking about that. The text today uh, is going to end on that note. And so part of what is driving this whole text is this idea, as we look at it today, this idea of cultivating rejoicing people. A people who are full of joy and express that joy. And I find that I'm not... I am not given to that. In fact, I've been thinking about why it is. And I think part of it is... Uh, the, the part of the blame is going to rest on my phone. Because I have picked up my phone to look at it like 50 times today. Anybody else? You liars. For one of you. Some of you are. Some of you are like, you're, you're like I don't understand the smartphone and I don't want to. Forget it. Um, and you have other sins and we're not, we'll talk about you next week. There's a website uh, that has been on my mind. I actually, I'd never been to it. I just knew about it. Um, and its title is Distractify. And, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's tagline here is Distract Me. If I could say there is one thing about, I'm going to take it down so you're not distracted. If I could say there's one thing that I notice about myself and about the world, and one of the chief obstacles to a people who is full of joy, I think it is this. We are too distracted to be joyful. We're too distracted to be people who are rejoicing in God. We're just too distracted. Because every time that, that, that there's, t- there's something like deep and beautiful and meaningful, every time there's a gorgeous sunset, we're busy. So busy. Um... I also could blame Netflix and video games, but we'll hit those the week after, after I deal with all you non-cell phone users. It, it got me thinking about this verse, and, and so I'm not, like, I'm not harping on like, the evils of a cell phone. I'm not throwing my cell phone away, and, and I'm not asking you to do that either. I'm just asking us to think for a second. When was the last time you just sat in the deep and beautiful joy of the things of God? When was the last time that you went a whole day without being uh, distractified? There's an interesting verse uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, and it says this. This is not Paul speaking of the evils of, of cell phones or something like that, but rather Paul just pointing out something about people who are not interested in God. Because I think that's largely what it is. I, I rarely am on the road. Um, I, I'm on the road usually about 6 to 6.30 on Sunday mornings, and so I'm, I'm rarely out and about. 
um, later. But Emery was at home, and I had to go grab her at 8.30. And as I was driving, I was watching people in restaurants as I was driving by, and watching people diddling with their lawns. And I saw people kind of moseying about or walking their dogs. And I thought, why are y'all not in church? (laughs) And why are they not in church? They're not in church because they're not interested in church. They're not interested in the things of God. And that got me thinking, like, why, why is that? And I think, again, it's distraction. We aren't hungry. We aren't needy. We aren't desperate. Things aren't hard. My life is kind of is coasting. It's fine. This verse says, in this case, in their case, in the case of those who are not contemplating or thinking about or interested in the things of God, there is this, the God of this world has blinded them. Like, there is something that they are missing. God has blinded the minds of unbelievers and is, or the God of this world, in referencing to Satan, sorry, not God, but the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. Like, this is the whole task of Satan and the world around us is to distractify you, distract you. Like, God doesn't have to make a bunch of heathenistic evil sinners like that's not what the god of this world has to do he just has to keep you so preoccupied with other things that eternity never enters your consciousness that's all that has to happen i've said this before it isn't that god it isn't that the satan or the devil or your own lust of the flesh or the world around us has to move us all the way over here so that you're you're the next adolf hitler it only has to he only has to move you like an inch off the mark right? that's all that has to happen and that's what distractions do They keep us off the mark. And because we're off the mark, there is less joy. Does that make sense? Are you with me? That's what my argument to you today is that if you got your eyes on the mark and you pushed away some of the distractions, you would actually be a more joy-filled person. Life would actually be better for you. Because as we lose the distractions, we begin to focus on God, the deep and abiding presence and joy both now and eternity can take a more substantial root in our lives and we can stop being people who are so easily distracted flitting from one thing to the next like children but rather people who sit and are deep so remember with me where we are in our text we are in Deuteronomy. If you didn't bring a Bible, don't worry about it. Just grab one. It's exactly like the one I've got in the pew in front of you. That will actually be true very soon. I'll actually say the word pew, and that's accurate. It'll be fun. In the chairs in front of you. It is on page 168. It's the first column. We're going to be on chapter 27 here. But remember with me for a second the whole context of all this book. We are wrapping up Deuteronomy. You all have been patient and wonderful, super duper Christians. Not just super, but super duper Christians. And you have made so much progress through the book of Deuteronomy. We are now at the end of the book. We are now at the end of Moses. Moses' life is about to end. And we get to hear and listen in to his last words. Which gives us the moment to pause and ask the question, what would our last words be? What should they be? And Moses' last words in the text we're going to read today are related to what he wants the people to do when they enter in the land. So he's basically saying, when I'm dead, go do this. I want you to remember me. I was at the store this weekend 
with Emery, and we were just, we were there very intentionally. We were there for ice cream, caramel syrup, and other ice cream accoutrements. Because mom was away, so we had ice cream for breakfast, so. <laughs> she can't stop us if she's not there, right? This is... So we're in the store, and I see something that's like half off. And I say to myself, half off. And I turn to Emery, and I say to her this, we can't afford not to. (laughs) That was my beloved Aunt Terry's. She passed away a few years ago, kind of my second mom. That was her line. She was a bit of a shopaholic. We'd go to the mall, and she'd see a sale, and she'd say, well, we can't afford not to. She'd grab it. I remember her. I remember her when I see sales. I don't just remember the sales, of course, but I just remember all that she's poured into my life. We remember people, right, by, by practicing, by saying maybe taglines, or, or when you go to a particular place, you might remember a grandpa. You remember people. And Moses says, when I'm dead, because I'm going to die, I want you to remember me. And I want you to remember me in this way. I want you to remember me in this way. There are two things that, well, three things, but we're going to do two this week and we'll do the the next next week. I want you to build a monument and I want you to make an altar. These are the two things. I want you to build a monument and I want you to make an altar. So look at your Bibles there. Chapter 27, beginning with verse 1. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. So all the stuff that you've already read, the the past weeks and weeks and weeks that you've been here. uh, Keep that commandment. And then verse 2. On the day that you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And then you shall write on them all the words of the law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord your God, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning all that I have commanded you. And on Mount Alba, you shall plaster them with plaster. So they're going to sit kind of on top of a mountain overlooking the the people. Visual memory is so important. Monuments are really important. We've seen all kinds of examples of that today. Uh, There was the issue with the... Not that. Not that either. That. I don't know how many of you guys have been following this whole pioneer. It's like a monument. I'm not from Kalamazoo, so I don't have any dog in the fight. So I don't want to hear your opinions. Keep them to yourself. Point is not your opinions about whether you should remove it or not. But anyway, some of you know, this is like a little monument thing to the pioneers, or it's called the pioneers or something. I don't know, whatever. Uh, But it was in the park. It's caused quite a controversy uh, because you have this, you know, the people who say pioneers are bad and all that. But the point is, this communicates a whole lot more than just, it's a nice fountain. It means something. It means something to the people who want to keep it, and it means something to the people who want to, to, to remove it. And this is why monuments are so important. This is why monuments matter so much. And what's significant or fascinating about what Moses says is he says, when you build a monument, I don't want a monument to me. I don't want you to build a monument that looks like God don't make an idol, right? Don't build a monument to the elders. Don't build a monument that looks like Joshua, but rather do this. Put a stone up, put plaster all over it, and write the law on it. 
So that when you walk by, you see on this mountain, well, I mean, there's a lot of text, so there's going to be a bunch of stones. That should be one big one. It's going to be several, probably. All of these stones that have the word of God on it, and you're going to look up, and you're going to remember this text. And this is important. So the point that I'm trying to make here is that it's not just build a monument, but it's why do we build a monument, right? What does this tell us about the kind of people that Moses wants them to be? What does this tell us about the kind of people that God is building? A monument is not just a thing. It's something that tells us about all the other things. Tells us about identity. Who am I in the world? And what is the world anyway? We had this in Tennessee, these rebel flags, right? Rebel flag. Is the rebel flag a symbol of southern heritage or is it a symbol of racism and slavery? And the problem is that the answer is yes. <laughs> and you get to pick which side you want to fall on and make enemies with all the other people, right? That's, but it's not just a flag. It's not just a thing, right? It tells us something about who you are and the world you think you live in. God is doing the same thing with his people. He's saying, listen, you are going to build this. It's not going to be a, a, Mo, a Moses monument like the Charlton Heston beard, like arms spread, maybe with a staff, No, none of that. The law. The ways of God. Put them before your eyes. Always put them before your eyes. In fact, it has even more than just that. The Statue of Liberty. Another great example. So that, ostensibly, you're coming to America, and here is this thing that represents liberty. This is what this country is all about. It's about liberty. What is Israel all about? It is all about God is king here. God is king here. And anytime a stranger or foreigner or somebody else is crossing through and they see these giant rocks with writing all over them, or anytime the people of Israel are crossing around, they're walking through, they're going to see these rocks, and they're going to remember this is the place where God rules over us. And I don't think that's any different than you or me today and what God wants from us. We pray this prayer, right? Thy will be done. We sang that in our song today. Thy will be done. We mean the same thing. In fact, what's interesting about this is this is just a national symbol of what God has already told them to do. Remember in in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said, you're going to teach these things to your children. You're going to write them on your doorposts. So when somebody enters into the land of Israel, they see these stones and they know nationally this is the place where God rules. But when they visit your house, they see immediately the law of the Lord. And when they walk into that house, they know this place is also where God rules. I thought about that. Because, you know, it's interesting, there's not a similar commandment. There's no commandment in the Bible, in the New Testament, that says, hey, if you believe in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you should put... uh, the Ten Commandments, or um, a Sermon on the Mount. There's no command, but it sparked my imagination. What would it be like if I erected a stone in the middle of my yard that had, like, the Sermon on the Mount on it? I'm sure my neighbors and wife would love that, but I just thought, how cool would that be? How cool would it be? And I thought of something quintessentially American. This shows you my Photoshop skills, which are not good. 
But quintessentially American, you see that white picket fence? I mean, y'all read Tom Sawyer or something when you're kids, you got that white picket fence. Wouldn't it be funny if on that white picket fence, all, all up and down or across or however you can make it happen, you've got, you've got the Sermon on the Mount right there so that somebody knows when they get to your house and they walk through your door, that place, God reigns there. And what does that do for that person who comes into your house and watches you act cruelly to your kids or to your spouse or to your enemy gossip or lie or listen to something maybe you shouldn't that person has now the ability to what hold you accountable to say i you know when i walked in here i thought the lord was lord over this area and what i'm seeing right now is not that it puts both a impetus in us to do what is right because we see it before our eyes, but it also puts something in us to allow other people to critique and hold us accountable to what we, what we say we believe. I was just thinking about that. I, just, I thought, I'm, I'm going to do something crazy. I haven't decided what. It's, it's going to be fun. We'll make a stone or something. Mark, is this doable? Can we make a stone? We can make this happen. Mark says we can do it. Then we can do it. He can do anything. (laughs) Now everyone's going to be calling you, hey, monument, my yard, next week. Mark's volunteered his time. You heard him, right? Just kidding. All right, so we got two things. This is is just a spark your imagination. Think about that. Think about that in your own life. How does somebody, when they walk in your house, know God is king? How does somebody, when they meet you, know God is Lord? How does somebody, how does that happen creatively? Think about that. All right. We already did that. Next thing. That's not what I want. We'll stop there. The next thing is the uncut mount, um, altar on Alba. So look back in your Bibles. The first thing was the monument. We just talked about that. The next thing is an altar. And verse 5. So they're on Mount Alba. We'll talk a little bit more about, about the, the location next week. So, but right now it's just it's a mountain there in Israel. They've crossed over. They've set up these big stones that, that bear witness to God. But God says, I also want you to build an altar there. Uh, verse 5, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them, so that you don't chisel them. Make them flat so that they can fit. Have you ever, anybody ever built an altar? Yeah, me neither. I didn't think so. But I imagine that the easiest way to do is to have, like, bricks that fit together. And that if you just grab a bunch of pile of stones and you pile them up, that seems like a very inefficient way to build an altar, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, grab stones, right? just whatever stones you see around there, whatever rocks you can find on the mountain, grab them and pile them up. That's interesting to me. You shall wield no iron tool. You shall, you're not going to make them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God with uncut stones. You shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. There you shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there. What's interesting to me is this, is that, and this is how I read the Bible. When I read the Bible, if there is a particular thing that they're told to do or not to do, I'm really interested in why. Because again, we talked about this. This is a whole lot more than just, hey, the altars, uncut stones, moving on. What does it tell us? Why is that important? Why does it matter that they're uncut and not like, you know, finished and looking nice like Mark's going to make the monument in my my front yard right as you drive up the edge Next to the mailbox, so I can convert my post. (laughs) 
Good. Uh, why, why are these things? What is, what is it trying to make of them? What is the worldview that God is trying to build? And notice as well that this is a sacrifice of, of peace. Do you see that there? It isn't a sacrifice necessarily of, of um, atonement. It isn't that they've sinned. Rather, this is a celebratory practice. This is thanking God for what God has done. That's the purpose of this sacrifice. And anyway, I thought, of, thought about a couple of things that I, I think emerged from me theologically, thinking about those uncut stones. And the first is, we aren't perfect. Why should our altars be? We, it would look like a pile of rocks and when people walked by, they might say, wow, look at that big pile of rocks. But they would never walk by and say, look at this perfectly crafted, this immaculately made altar. No, rather they're going to say, wow, that looks like a pile of rocks. Sometimes we look like that, don't we? I didn't get a lot of amens there. So either that didn't make sense or you are perfect. We're not perfect. And I, I take that. I take that importantly. And I also think that similarly, our, uh, our actions, our deeds, our, our lives, they aren't, they aren't perfect either. And what we need in those lives of imperfection and brokenness sometimes, and what we need in that is we need an offering of peace on top of it. And this just drives my mind to Jesus. It makes me think about Jesus, who is our peace, who is called our Passover lamb. He is the one who says, I give you peace, not as the world gives, but I give it to you. He is the one who Paul says, he is our peace. And, and Paul also says, because of him and because of all that he's done in our broken and imperfect lives, because how he has laid his peace on us, we are then able to go out into the world and we can become the people of peace, just like Jesus is the person of peace. This word sacrifice riddles the Bible. We think of Romans 1 says things like, uh, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. The Israelites, as you know, and we've talked about this several times, they're going to, they're going to sacrifice over, and they have daily sacrifices. They have all these sacrifices that they're going to do, but Jesus came and he is the one, once for all sacrifice that allows us to be free from doing sacrifices like they did, laying animals and killing them and blood and all of these things, but rather we now become living agents of sacrifice. And I was thinking about what that looks like and what that means. It drew my mind to Hebrews 13, 14 through 16. And Hebrews says this, we have no lasting city here. We don't build immaculate things because we know there's nothing here that's gonna last. We just pile them up. Because we are seeking a city that is to come. And through him that is Jesus, then let us offer continually up a sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That everywhere you go, on your lips should be the name of Jesus. Whether that's song, whether that's just speaking grace, whether that's saying, somebody, let me pray for you, whether that's actually directly saying, hey, listen, let me tell you the gospel so you can be saved. Whatever it is, you're offering that, that, that song, that, that word of praise. Jesus is never far from what you have to say. And verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for the sacrifices of this are pleasing to God. That's a powerful word. 
It's, in fact, two, twofold. There is this action of declaration, of declaring. And there's this action of action, of doing, of what we, what we do with our hands, our time, our money, our resource, all these different things. How are these together being actual sacrifices of praise? How are you as a person sacrificing that? Because all of this leads us, I think, to the last piece of this, this text. I want you to see it there. Verse 7, and the sacrifice of peace, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings, and you shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You notice that? Like, what, what's the direction of all this stuff? What's the point of the monuments? What's the point of the altars? What's the point of the sacrifice? What's the point of all of this? It is so that the people would rejoice. And I suggest to you that because we have taken our eyes off the monuments, and because we have stopped being a people of sacrifice, because we have allowed the obstacles of distraction and busyness and entertainment to set up a blockade in our lives where this is constantly where our focus is, we are unable, we are unable to live in the fullness of the joy of the Lord. But if we recover that monument, if we recover fixing our eyes on the word of God, if we recover our fixing our eyes on scripture, and we recover praising God and living that life of sacrifice, then we can recover the joy. But that has to come when we remove the obstacle. They can't exist together. I'm going to get there. There we go. Nope. There it is. So there it is. This, is. this is my suggestion. As I read this story, as I saw this thing in, in Moses, and as I was contemplating my own life and my own unfaithfulness, where I've let God down and where I continue to wrestle, that was what I saw. That is what I've experienced. And that is, I think, what many of us are experiencing. And that is, we are just too busy for God. And because we are receiving constant stimulus, because you are constantly receiving stimulus from somewhere, your phone, your TV, your, 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 the things that you're busy traveling to and doing, whatever it is, you're constantly receiving that. You are now desensitized. You're desensitized to real moments of experience, real moments of joy, real moments of excitement. Because the point of, of all of the distractions are to keep you constantly tuned in. And in order to do that, they have to manipulate your mind and your emotions. Your mind and your emotions. That's the whole goal of Google, right? It exists for this purpose. And so we have all of these distractions in our lives, and what I'm saying is we need to knock those monuments down, those walls down, and we need to think again about looking at the right kind of monuments, building them if we must in our front lawns, or putting them in some way in our lives. I don't know what it is for you. Whatever it is for you, do it. And utilizing the sacrifices of the mouth and the hands that God has given us so that we might be a people as I said, who can engage deeply in true and real joy. Because that's where all of this is headed. It is all headed toward joy and rejoicing. So as the team comes up, uh, we're going to wrap it up here. And uh, as we begin to sing this song, I want it to make you to make it your prayer. I want it to make you to make it your prayer today that as 
you go through the rest of this week, God will convict you about the distractions in your life. And that God will give you the spirit which will help you grab a hold of these things and fix your eyes on the things that are eternal, the things that truly matter. Let's stand as we sing the song.